We all have a unique voice. It's described by biologists as an airstream that runs across the larynx causing vibration. But what can explain how the right voice at the right time can change the course of history? In this episode, Genesis of a Voice, we will explore how to avoid the echo trap and the miracle of becoming a mouthpiece for God. Stay tuned to the conclusion for some practical principles on how to harness your voice. Welcome to Keep It 100 Podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Join us in this space where we take on real issues with real insight under real inspiration. Keep It 100! Can you believe we are in our third episode already? This has been such a fun adventure for you and I, something totally different, the world of podcasting. We also have gotten so many great reviews feedbacks, testimonies of people that have enjoyed it. It's really made it worth it for us to really step out and risk and take this venture on. I know. And what's cool is that we've gotten so many private messages of people just encouraging us and telling us what they've gotten out of it. It's really humbling, but it's also so motivating to keep doing it because it's like, wow, this is helping people. And that's our whole heart. There's so many voices that are vying for your attention and for your allegiance that it seems to be that maybe the greatest gift to receive in this moment from God is clarity. Come on. I tell you what, I the word clarity is so key because we're talking about genesis of a voice, having a clear voice that brings clarity in the midst of, a, of confusion. I think you and I and many of our listeners will agree this generation needs a true, clear voice of God. You know, 1 Corinthians 14, 8, many of you might know this. For those of you that don't, it reads, for if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? You know, what is needed in this hour is a certain voice, a voice of certainty, because when an uncertain sound, an uncertain voice, that can bring wrong actions and wrong results. So true. Hello, Antifa. Right. Before we talk about a voice, let's talk about the antithesis of a voice, which is an echo. Mm. Webster's defines an echo as a close parallel or repetition of an idea, feeling, or style. But really to break it down, it's one who closely imitates or repeats another's words, Mm. ideas, or acts. The root of echo is so key because in Greek mythology, echo was this beautiful nymph that was trying to make a play for Zeus. I didn't know this. Zeus had a wife named Hera, and she wasn't having it. (laughs) So she cursed this beautiful nymph, Echo. And as a result of that, two things happened. Echo was deprived of her free expression, and she could only speak the last words spoken to her. That would be a horrific way to not be able to personally express yourself, and all you can ever do is repeat what's said to you. So there's no original thought. In this Greek mythological story, I believe it so mirrors what's Mm -hmm. taking place in our society. accurate, yeah. Because what so many people today voice as original thinking is often recycling someone else's opinion. So true. I feel like right now, more than ever, there has been such a a kind of a copycat culture. And I really believe God is like, where is my original intention? Where's my original voice? The clarity of the sound, the clarity of the voice. But I love that you're hitting this echo thing because I feel like we don't need any more echoes. We need the clarity of heaven in this hour. I remember being one time in a cavernous cave. One time, I forget where it was at, but we'd stand in the middle and we'd holler out our voice and we'd hear echoes. But the thing I always notice about echoes is echoes fade. Mm. And what we need is the voice that will remain. Come on. One of the things that we also see today 
there's a culture that lives in an echo chamber. An echo chamber is where everyone inside of your group simply is echoing what you already believe. Like full agreement. Full agreement with okay. what you're saying. And everyone on the outside is viewed as a threat. It began with people not wanting to hear ideas that were contrary or truth that was contrary to what they believed. But now we've moved from echo chamber to cancel culture. Right? I mean, I tell you what, it is so true. I feel like if there are people that say something that someone may view as different or they don't agree with it, I mean, we're seeing like an instant pressure to to fully retract any statement. There's such a like cancel slash retraction culture, you know, and you'll see someone post something, tweet something, and then all that pressure comes on them to remove that. And you'll see the tweet or the post is removed within an hour. Why? Because the cancel culture was so strong that people are cowering rather than staying true to like what they originally said or stated. We're even seeing some of the social media platforms themselves take off post by certain Christians and believers. It just happened to a friend of ours ministry and they were able to uh, have their account enabled back. But this is such uh, an example of cancel culture. So true. And you really there, you know, we're going to keep talking about this, but the day has to come. And I believe in the days today where we stop being an echo and we become the voice that God has given us. The reason why a voice is important is a voice is a unique personal signature Mm -hmm. that identifies you. A voice also becomes the ultimate vehicle of communication, revelation, and influence. And what God gave us a tongue to do is to praise him first, Mm. but then to influence the earth by sharing the revelation of who he is. Krista, why don't you share with us the genesis of your voice? Well, it's kind of interesting. You know, um, I won't go into all the details, but when you and I were kind of preparing for this and we were having conversations, I had to kind of explore. And I think that's what we want to provoke our listeners to do. As we're talking about the genesis of our own voice, we want you to be thinking about what's the genesis of your voice. And for me, I had an encounter around 10 years old where the Lord, uh, interestingly enough, had highlighted the country of Australia to me. So from 10 years old, I always wanted to go to Australia. I always felt like there was a spiritual inheritance in that nation for me. Fast forward through my life, um, I felt called to full-time ministry and, um, you know, but that came a little bit later. But one of the encounters that I had that led me to Australia for the very first time was I graduated from university about a term early, which is about three months. And I gave a college gift to myself, not because I had a lot of money, but just because I had kind parents and I worked hard and all that kind of stuff, raised some money. And I had a friend who had a connection in Australia. They just come off the mission field. And I went over there for three months to just travel and just serve a ministry during the week, travel on the weekend, see a country and kind of find out, God, why is Australia always been in me? So I'm on the kind of this prophetic journey. I've graduated from college at this point. I have a job waiting for me in the fashion industry. And I, you know, I feel like I'm smack dab in the middle of God's will. I love God. I'm serving God. But I also knew fashion wasn't going to be my long-term fulfillment career. But I found myself in this place where God was really beginning to open me up to preaching and ministering. And I had kind of loosely participated in that and had opportunities to do that. Long story short, I find myself in this other nation that again was already a perfect journey on its own. And I actually said out loud to a question God asked me uh, probably earlier in the week. And earlier in the week, I was on a walk and I was doing my quiet time with God. And he's like, Krista, what do you really want to do with your life? And this question, I thought, Lord, just tell me what you want me to do. I, you know, sometimes it's like we have free will, but you don't want it. Because you're like, just tell me. He's like, no, no. What What do you want to do? And I was like, you know what? I want to preach and I want to prophesy. Now, to some people, this is that's like, duh. Or that might be like, well, what's big deal about that? 
Well, you have to understand, I did not see that. I did not see women preaching or prophesying. So what I was saying was really different. Like what I was saying was totally out of the box. And it was certainly out of the box for the direction I thought I was going in my life. And I I loved God and I knew I was going to do all this different stuff for him, but I didn't necessarily ever want to be a pastor or anything like that. Like I just knew I wanted to preach and prophesy. So long story short, there's all these details and it's quite a prophetic journey, but I found myself in Sydney, Australia. And someone had casually told me before I went to this trip in Australia, you got to check out Hillsong Church. And it just kind of stayed in my spirit. And these people I just, God connected me with, ended up taking me on a Sunday morning to Hillsong Church. And I'm sitting in the middle of worship. And I've just, remember, I've just communicated out loud for the first time to God that I want to preach and I want to prophesy. And it feels so crazy. It feels so radical for me. It feels super bold and vulnerable. And then at the end of worship, which the presence of God was incredible in the in the building. And then Brian Houston, the senior pastor of Hillsong gets up and he's like, hey, today you guys were so excited. We have an American Kathy Leshner here to minister. She's going to preach and she's going to prophesy. And at that exact moment, as she's walking up on the platform, the Lord says, I brought you to Australia and I brought you to Hillsong to show you what you're going to do with your life. And that is to preach and that is to prophesy. And I tell you what, the presence of God was so strong. I cried the entire service. I just totally cried. And what's incredible is from that moment that I got so marked because I was given a visual example. Now, I never had the privilege of meeting Kathy Leshner, and unfortunately, she passed away last year. I so always wanted to meet her, but I can say her life so greatly impacted me from afar. And I feel like God uses people to show you examples of what he's called you to do. And my life was so marked by her life. And then when I came back, he gave me a mentor, um, Herb and Bethany Marks, and I lived with them and they were my pastors. They discipled me in the prophetic and they began to develop that gift in me and they helped inspire, but also gave me people to emulate what they carried. Um, he's, he's a prophet and he began to train me up and teach me how to cultivate my voice for God. And God is so strategic in raising you up, but also putting you around people that are going to help you raise you up. But one thing Herb taught me, and of course my mom and my dad taught me and just, you know, the people that God blessed, you know, in my life that I was so blessed to have them in my life is a better way to say it was that they kept teaching me that my voice can only come from an intimacy that I've cultivated with Jesus, that you can sound like other people, you can be influenced by other people, but at the end of the day, our voices, the purity of our voices has to be rooted and grounded, the intimacy that you and I cultivate. And I'll end with this. We, we have one life to live and we choose the depth of our intimacy. I, I choose how deep I go with Jesus. And I'm, I'm convicted by that, but I'm also challenged by that. And I feel like um, intimacy with the Lord is the foundation for the voice that I have today. You know, I share that because God so set me up to show me a picture of who I was called to be like, although I'm going to be my own person. But he also, it would, the, the picture of Kathy getting on that platform at Hillsong that day and showing me, it also gave me permission. I felt like by say, seeing someone that looked like me doing what I want to do was the permission from heaven, like here, this is what you're called to do. Now, I've shared my story, but I love your story. And I want you to share the genesis of your voice because it's so powerful. Well, it's a backdrop to the genesis of my story. After the murder of my dad, there was awards monies that can only be used for education. So my mom sent me to this Catholic high school. So here I am, this inner city kid being bussed all the way across town. And I'm sitting with these 
kids that came from a different lifestyle. They came from a different socioeconomic background. And as a result of that, I felt immediately a bit insecure. They had these nice sports cars. Uh, Many times these kids would wreck their sports cars and their parents would get them brand new sports cars. And I'm riding a bus an hour and 15 minutes, one way to school and one way back. And I remember my senior year in high school, I had to take speech class. And in speech class, you have to pass it in order to get your high school diploma. And if you flunk it, if you, if you didn't get higher than a D, you had to come back during the summer and take it. No, heck no. Until you passed it, right? Nobody wants no, to do that. You want to get no. out of high school quick. <laughs> right. So I remember sitting in this class and I did not do well in the class because I had a, America's number one phobia, the mm. fear of public speaking. And part of it is that I was unconfident. The other part of it is that I very much felt insecure amidst all these kids that had so much and I had so little. Right. So- the final speech came and the final speech was impromptu speech. So that's the worst, right? Because other speeches that you prepared for, I didn't do that well, but at least I had some time to think about the subject. So now you're going to mix this heightened nervousness with total unpreparedness. So I had to walk past the teacher. He had a hat with little slips of paper, pulled the slip of paper up and whatever it was, you had about five seconds from his desk to get to the podium to have a talk on it. And you had to talk three to five minutes. So I pulled this slip that said family vacation. Mm. Well, I immediately knew I was bombed in the midst of the lake because I didn't have a nuclear family at that point in time. It was my mom and my grandmother and vacation. I'm sitting in front of kids that I know they came back from spring break. Some of these kids, their families went literally to like the French Riviera in France. Some of them were skiing and hot tubbing in Vail, Colorado. Oh Others God. of them went down world. to the beach in the mm. Caribbeans. And I'm going to stand in front of these kids. And they went diving off of cliffs in the Mediterranean while I was dumpster diving <laughs> during my spring break. Why? Because I was trying to get aluminum cans <laughs> and bottles so I could sell them back, redeem it, get me a Spider-Man comic book, get me a Snickers bar, oh, sit behind Tony's Liquors with Homeless Harry. <laughs> So I'm all this is going through my head in this split second. And I'm thinking, I'm not about to tell these bougie kids that I was in a trash can so trying to collect. And so I, I bought a piece of paper. I put it back in Mr. Puppioni's hat that he had everyone pull Aww. paper out of. And he was gracious. He gave me a D plus. But as I was going back to my seat, I thought, I am never going to do this again. I'm mm. never going to embarrass myself. And so I had this self-fulfilling vow that I wasn't going to use my voice. What's crazy is that story. Fast forward, you've been preaching the gospel for 35 years. And to go from a self-vow, proclaimed vow, to being a declarer of the word, and it's your livelihood. It's literally what you've given your life to. Uh, we've got to know that story. Like, how did you shift from the D-plus high school kid to you're now a preacher, and this is like literally your normal? I got to throw this in too. I had a I had a high school counselor advise me to do something with my hands because after seeing my transcript, he says it's pretty evident that you probably shouldn't do anything where you have to give an oral presentation. Oh my god! Love to go back to that high school counselor and show him what, what I do. You know what that is? That is the power of God in our voice. Absolutely right. Because when God empowers your voice, yes. everything changes. Yes. The rest of the story is when I gave my life to Christ, I had seventy two hours, three days where I was caught up in an open vision during the day. So powerful. Like my eyes were open, 
like I'm looking at you, wow. but superimposed was like this screen. And then at night I dreamt the same dream. Wow. So I'm caught up in this, and day, in and this day and night for wow. three days. And I'm seeing this Coliseum full of people and they're walking forward to give their life to Christ a la Billy Graham or Reinhard Bonnke. In, in the beginning, the first day, it was just simply people getting saved. Mm. And then by second day, I could hear voices and they were saying, I'm healed. Cancer's oh. gone. I can walk and I'm being healed of this. I can see. And then the third day, it's like I had a panoramic view and I could see who the speakers were at this crusade. And there were like a hundred speakers waiting to hit the mic. There was a guy speaking like 99 right. after him and 20 from the end was me. Oh and I remember gosh. saying, no, God, remember <laughs> I got a D plus in high school speech, God, like you can't use my voice. And in the midst of it, like only God could do, right. he gave me his heart for the campus. And when God gives you a heart to do something, it's amazing how perfect love casts out fear. Oh my goodness. You know, I don't think I know that story, but I don't think I realized till right now that in three days, that vision, that encounter you're having evolved. I didn't realize that literally as it went on, God continued to expand. I, I, that's super powerful to me. He really does. And that was such an encounter. It marked my life. Oh yeah. Right when I began in campus ministry, I actually was an intern but I had to be thrusted into speaking, I was still a, ner a bit nervous. Sure. I, wasn't, I wasn't polished. I wasn't that great at public speaking. So out of nervousness, I would pray four hours before our Friday night <laughs> oh. campus meeting. Three hours and 45 minutes was about getting fear off me. <laughs> and 15 minutes was about getting a little bit of God. You know what? There's some listeners who are like, I feel you. But as a result, what I didn't know is in the midst of that weakness, and God can turn your weakness into strength, Come on. is all that time spent in prayer, God was putting his anointing and presence and even mm. glory on me. Amen. So one of our meetings, and I think this is so key, is that there was a girl that was brought to the meeting named Becky. Becky could not talk. So I guess the medical term is that she was dumb, not that she lacked intelligence. She was a right. smart gal, right. but she wasn't able to talk. And so she would walk around the campus with a little notepad. She could hear you, but in order to communicate, she had to write on this notepad. She came to our meeting. I get, I preach, I give an altar call. She walks forward to give her life to Christ. I remember that altar call distinctly. There was mm. probably about 10 to 12 people that gave their life to Christ, wow. including one guy that, that came to punch me, but the Holy Spirit caused him to go out into power. Wow. And so he got saved and Becky's on the end. And so I forgot she couldn't speak. So I said, what's your name? I put my hand on her back and I said, what's your name? What do you want Jesus to do for you? And she goes, my name is Becky. And I have a mic on. The moment she says it, all our students, because they know her. You you remember this gal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They all kind of hit this place of awe. They got on their face. And then it dawned on me, oh my God, she couldn't speak. God mm. restored her voice wow. on the spot. Gosh, I mean, that story is crazy. I mean, you have the mute on college campus. You know, you shared with me, you know, that she was probably a toddler is what kind of how the story goes, where she was traumatized, lost her voice. And then here she is in her like early 20s, let's say. So let's say like 15 plus years, just to be conservative. She has not spoken for 15 plus years. And she communicated with people on campus by writing on a pad of paper, you know, and she goes from that to saying, my name's Becky. I mean, there had to have been a collective gasp in the room when that took place, right? Yes. I mean, that to me as a believer, but also you had a lot that were just seeking God that so many people got saved from her meeting. I mean, your meetings became packed because the miracle of Becky not only went on a Christian 
television show. Right. But it became like rampant around campus because That's everyone right. knew who she was. And so literally a revival broke out because a mute began to speak. And I, what I love, it's such a picture. When God gives a voice, yes. it, it creates a movement. That's Our right. voices create a movement. And I just feel like she's such a, a picture of what God's doing. I believe even now, like people that have been on mute because of the enemy, God is unmuting them. And what I love is, you know, Mark 9, 17, and it's the NIV version. It talks about when a demonic spirit robbed a boy, a bo- a boy of his voice. And they use the word robbed is used there, which I think is really interesting. And it's specific and it's different from other translations. And why I want to call that out is because I believe there's still a demonic spirit this today in our world today, in society today, a deaf and dumb spirit that is still trying to rob a generation of their voice. Because you and I know there is a war over the voice of the sons and daughters of the Lord. I mean, I just believe that there is uh, a war to the point where, again, we're, we're given an episode to this, we are so committed to people finding their voice for God because we have to have people that live in a contrast. John the Baptist is a great example for this generation because John the Baptist was a forerunner to Jesus' first coming. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe that God is taking that spirit of John the Baptist and putting it now on a forerunner generation that will be ushering in Jesus' second return. And it's a great example because in John 1, it tells the story about John the Baptist. We learn several things about John the Baptist. Mm -hmm. Number one, he contrasted himself. Yeah. While the all the other set, I believe the Bible talks about kind of they wore long robes and they were on ivory couches. John the Baptist, this guy had a camel's hair vest. He's got locust legs hanging out of his mouth. <laughs> right. This guy's coming out of the wilderness. He reached the first century world by contrasting mm. himself. He violated people's expectations. It took courage then and it takes courage now because yes, John the does. Baptist was definitely not politically correct. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew eleven seven that he says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? So I thought about it. Jesus is saying, what drew your attention to John the Baptist? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now we might think today that he was popular because he told people what they wanted to hear. But Jesus said, no. He says he was not a reed shaken by the wind. Mm-hmm. In other words, he wasn't just echoing with every wind of That's thought right. and doctrine and popular opinion that That's was coming. Right. He wasn't a reed shaken by the wind. He was a man that stood out. I wrote in my book, Prophetic Evangelism, a quote that I love. It's, it's so by good. George Bernard Shaw. George Bernard Shaw is a literary giant. He simply says, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in adapting the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends upon the unreasonable man. And this quote from George Bernard Shaw is so powerful. Progress depends on the unreasonable man. Even God backs this up in scripture by saying that in this day that people would heap up for themselves teachers that essentially will scratch their itching ears. Mm. So what's that telling me is that there's a temptation to be domesticated Mm. and to hide part of the truth and the demand of the gospel on a person's life. And it's the same was true in John the Baptist. Yeah, yeah. There was many teachers in John the Baptist today. Nicodemus was actually one of them. He was over many of the religious leaders, but they had a low quality information about God, which is very much like today. So many people are recording a source from a source from a source. And it's the term today is low quality information. But the thing about low quality information is that you need to get, go to the source. 
And so John the Baptist stood alone because he had gotten on his face and got alone with God. Because when you hear God's voice, you can become a voice for God. Mm. And you know, John the Baptist experienced so much social shaming. I mean, he w- he became an outcast. He was a voice that drew people to the wilderness because he had high quality information. <laughs> he got it from the source and there was a draw. There was an attraction to John the Baptist. But then there came a process and we see it in Matthew 11. 18, where they're, they're praising him, calling him the forerunner. Some even wondered, is he the Messiah? And then bam, they're saying he has a demon. I mean, there was such a fickleness of the current society. We see that in today's society. One moment they're praising you and they're like, that sermon changed my life, or you said this and that impacted me. And then they're calling you a false prophet and cursing what you're saying. I mean, there's such a fickleness and there, but there's a, it's part of the process of becoming a voice. You know, there really is. And we saw this in John the Baptist that he had prolonged hiddenness before he ever got a platform. Ooh, and that's good. Right. Because I feel like so much of our voice is developed well before a mass of people ever hear it. I mean, it's the hidden places that develop the voice because it's the hidden places that get you with God. It, it removes the noise. It removes the clamor of the society, the clamor of pop culture. And you have to get on your face before God. You know, I'll tell you this, uh, Don Potter, an incredible worship leader, um, he had he, he did an album, but he did this whole process where he worshiped to the wall. And I don't remember quite the name of the album. It might have been The Wall or To The Wall or something. Because the Lord told him that he was too dependent on the faces of the people he was leading the worship services. That's good. So God had him turn the chair. So he couldn't even see the faces. And when he was at home, he just worshiped to a wall. And the reason was that was to remove the need for people's affirmation and encouragement because it didn't matter what the people thought about his worship. All that mattered was the one who he was worshiping. It's so true. You think about... David, before he ever had a voice before Saul in the king's palace, he had a voice hidden out in the backside of a pasture with sheep and worshiping the Lord. And that voice was honed and developed. I love your point that a voice is often developed before the masses ever hear it. The other thing I think about John the Baptist is the fact that John the Baptist was called to highlight another. He didn't steal that spotlight but he came to cast that spotlight mm, on Jesus. That's so good. And I think a true voice, a pure voice today is a voice that points and is used for God. I think about that old song, let me see you whip, let me see you nay nay. And <laughs> yeah. then the, the, the phrase that you hear over and over, watch me, watch me, right. watch me, watch me. And I feel like watch me has become the watch word of this day. Mm. That it's all about, I'm using my voice to promote myself. I'm using my voice to hype myself. I'm using my voice. And that voice really is nothing more than an echo because a true voice is always going to point to the ultimate father of lights, the ultimate voice, which is God himself. Hmm. Because if you have a voice and all it does is lift you up, then it's really going to be temporary and it doesn't motivate or move anyone else. So really what a voice needs is it needs to be based on the word of God. A voice without the word hits the ear, but it doesn't harness the heart. Ooh, say that again. If people have a voice and they're not, they're not bringing biblical truth inside of their voice, it may hit the ear, but it will never harness the heart hmm. because God has the ability to go beyond the cortex of the brain and go directly to the heart. And when he goes to the heart, that's when true transformation begins. That's when a movement can be fomented. 
John the Baptist also developed his voice in that he knew what God was calling him to be and do, and he did it. Mm-hmm. Because disobedience disavows your voice. Mm. Your voice has no power. It doesn't have the ring of authority. Right. Jesus separated himself. It says, when the commoners, who first of all loved to listen to Jesus, which meant his voice connected to the common person, but they said he speaks as unlike the scribes and Pharisees. He speaks as one having authority. And I believe it's because he was obedient to the voice. So I feel like one of the things that John the Baptist teaches us is that you have to be real, you have to be credible, and you have to be confident in who God has made you to be. Amen. That's so good. To all our Keep It 100 tribe, we want to give you five principles that we believe will help you in the genesis of your voice. The first one that I want to talk to you about is you must know why you're talking. There are a lot of people that they don't know why they're talking. They're just talking. (laughs) In the day where we have hundreds of cable channels and there's so many talking heads, you just have to fill up space. And some people, the moment you listen to them, you could tell they don't really have a big why. And I feel like if you know the why, you know who you are and what you have to give, then your voice will move and it will resonate in people's hearts because the why will help you endure any what. Second principle we want you to walk away with today is stop worrying about what others think of you. This is so huge. And we talked about this with John the Baptist, but Sean and I have gone through this in our own lives. And I believe every voice goes through this process. You cannot worry about what others think of you because you, I believe, are called to be a voice that is prophesying to a groaning world that is awaiting the voice of the Father. Friends, we've got to have voices of clarity that have the sound of heaven get released. And you know what? The haters are going to hate. Unfortunately, we we have people that come against us when we do public things. And the reality is we have to keep on keeping on. You cannot take it personal because we do not fight in the flesh. We are fighting against principalities and the darkness. And I want you to know God wins within us. And you have to develop a, a tender heart and thick skin. I think we talked about this before. But You're going to love people, but you're going to stand strong on who you are. Number three, third principle is expose yourself to powerful, godly voices of biblical conviction. And what I mean is get people in your life that are walking a mature walk, a walk of integrity, one that you can trust and one you want to emulate in your own life. It's so true because when you get people around you that are speaking truth in your life, then it becomes easier for you to speak the truth in other people's lives. So true. So I so agree with it. Number four. Don't beat around the bush, become a burning bush. Mm, And what we mean by that is that beating around the bush means you're afraid to put the bottom line before the masses, that God has a demand on your life, that you have to repent, that the Bible says that you just can't live any way you want to live. And so don't beat around the bush, become a burning bush. That's right. In other words, if you get the fire of God on your life, Mm -hmm. when you speak, you will communicate that fire to others. And as you're passionate and you're consumed, the people you speak to will become passionate, consumed as well. I love that. And number five, the fifth and final principle to our Keep It 100 tribe is be yourself. But I might want to add, be your <laughs> sanctified self. Yeah, so many people say, I just got to be me. I just got to be me. Be it's, the Jesus saved version of you. That's right. <laughs> be the sanctified version. Because you have to be authentic because yes. being fake isn't going to get you anywhere. So true. I love that. Right now, we just want to thank you all for tuning in to the Keep It 100 podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe. Just click the subscribe button. And if this podcast or any of our podcasts has helped you, please leave a review as that will help us get this podcast out to many more people. And tune in every 
Tuesday for a new episode. And also, you can keep up with us on our website, seanandkristasmith.com, or you can go to our Facebook page, which is Sean and Krista Smith Ministries, or you can look us up either on our website, and you can go, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. Please let us know if you have any ideas or questions. Please communicate to us. We'd love to cover some of your questions in some of our upcoming episodes. And keep it 100 Tribe, you are not going to want to miss next week. I tell you what, we are having some of our dear friends with us. They're going to be our first guests on our Keep It 100 podcast. We're so excited. They're award-winning singers, songwriters, and worship leaders. They've released incredible worship albums, seven total. Incredible. Their songs always end up on my playlist on repeat. Sean knows this. Two years ago, they planted a church in Dallas. Texas, and they're such an incredible example of what it is to be marked by God and never turning back. Their stories, you guys, are so inspirational and impacting. I cannot wait for you to hear them. So tune in next week for our special interview with David and Nicole Binion. The Binions. We're super excited about them being with us because we will be continuing the Genesis of Voice part two. Can't wait. See you soon. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Keep It 100 podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram at seanandkristasmith.com where you can discover more resources. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Keep it 100.